0: Welcome back to another episode of the Hall of Justice Comic Cast. As always, I'm your host, the Above Average Joe, and with me again is Mighty Mike. And today we're doing something a little different. We are kickstarting the very first episode of our World Builder series, where we focus on creators who had a lasting impact on comics, not just for particular publishers, but as an in- for the industry. So, what better way to really kick that off than with the king himself, Jack Kirby, That's who right. would have celebrated his 100th birthday last month. So, at first, we're going to talk a little bit about Mr. Kirby's history, where he came from, his humble origins, and some maybe some unknown facts about his earlier years. So, Mike, you want to start us off?
1: Yeah. Actually, the Jack Kirby as we know him today was actually born as Jacob Kurtzberg, uh, immigrated to America. Uh, his parents were Austrian Jews, and he grew up in, on the harsh streets of New York, like pretty much... You imagine all, like, the era of the, the newsies and the kids running from the street corners and little street gangs and being real harsh. Like, that's the reality he grew up in. Just a short kid on a stoop corner.
0: Um, since you mentioned that's going to play an interesting little fact. Later on, we start talking about some of the characters he created.
1: Mm-hmm. His direct impact on that. His, his whole life is just, is just such parallels with his creation to his comics. Uh, a little known uh, noticeable fact that uh, he always had a penchant for art and drawing, uh, one day in his uh, tenement building in, in New York, uh, as a, a little boy, I think he was uh, five or six years old, got his hand on some a piece of charcoal, uh, and just drew all over the walls in the hallways. And it's was, it was just really funny because the landlord came down to his mom and was like, "Look what your son did." And her, his mom looks up and just more like. Wow! Look what my son did. (laughs) And the crazy thing, so he's just always been drawing from from the age. He always had the spark from since the beginning. He never had any formal training whatsoever. He just looked at things and was like, "I'm gonna draw that," and he did. And so the he was a gifted savant, and not not necessarily like savant, but the man just kept drawing. Like we have, we know about the Suzuki method today, and. Just do something until you're good at it. 10,000 10, hours it takes to master something. Jack Kirby put in his 10,000 hours.
0: Oh, absolutely. I remember I was at a, a convention uh, one time and I was listening to a panel with Todd McFarlane and, um, pardon me, Stan Lee. I don't know why I blanked on that. But they're actually talking about Jack Kirby and how he was the king. And and uh, Tom actually mentioned that he would start in the corner of a page and just work his entire way down. I remember
1: a notable. I can't remember the artist who was talking about it. He was when he was looking at Jack Kirby's drawings. He's like he's like my rooms had corners. Jack Kirby's rooms didn't have corners. Jack Kirby's rooms were panoramas. Like you, he he thought outside the lines and often drew outside the lines and was one of the that's. How he showed his action so well. with He would have a character and it would cross different panels. Like, he was one of the first people to do that kind of thing. Absolutely. Uh, but from then on, he had had such a love in art and he started at the bottom. And he was a in-betweener at an animation studio. Just pure nose-to-the-grind factory of assembly style work where he's not even the main illustrator... He's just drawing the in-between cells on, uh, on characters like he did Popeye and among other couple things. And that's just back-breaking work that just soul-eating. But he put his time in, uh, and shortly after that, he moved on to doing some newspaper strips and, and cartoons, uh, and that didn't last long before he uh, met up
0: with... He met up with Joe Simon, uh, working for Timely Comics, which is the first iteration of Marvel, mm-hmm. Uh, and the two of them created a rather notable character. You may Just know, small you may have heard of this one. Of um, he's he's most known nowadays as the first Avenger. Um, but Captain America, Jack Kirby mm. and Joe Simon created him in 1940. Very important because at a time when the U.S. was very hands off in return in regards to what was happening in Eastern Europe, there was kind of a, a, a non opinion of Hitler. It was it's happening over there. We don't care about it. Mm-hmm. And you have two. Very talented creators, both who happen to be of the Jewish faith, creating a character that is taking the fight directly to their oppressor was. Punch him in the face. Really unheard of. And of course, everyone knows that comic cover. Everyone has seen the iconic image of Captain America punching Hitler in the face. And they worked on that uh, for several years. And they actually ended up, Jack ended up going into service in World War II.
1: Yes, this is something I didn't know about. It's but, quite astonishing.
0: Um, before we get into his World War II thing, I just want to give you a couple of quick little fun facts about the initial release of Captain America. The first issue sold out in days. Just flew off the shelves. And remember, this is 1940s. Mm-hmm. Its second issue had a print run of over a million copies. That is incredible. That's incredible by today's yes, standards. And, and that tells
1: you something for the time. How much of a... the, the the voice of the government was kind of going against the populist movement of the Well, people. it was a wake-up
0: call to, to everybody. I mean, even people who never read comics suddenly knew about Captain America, and he became a serial character. We started seeing him in newsreels later on. All right, so Jack found himself going into World War II, as many young American men did. And he was actually, once his platoon commander found out who he, who he was and what his talents were, found himself as a scout and was actually being sent behind enemy lines to sketch maps of safe routes through enemy territory uh where enemy positions were he found himself becoming quite the badass
1: that's right from paper to reality the creator of captain america became captain america right
0: very much so so of course as we all know the war ended and he came home as many american gis did uh mike you want to talk about what happened in his life after the war
1: yeah uh shortly after the verge of him coming back home and and him being ready to channel all this experience he had into new comics and fresh stories and creativity, uh, there was a a turning point for American comics. Uh, A psychologist had came out, uh, I can't recall his name at the moment, uh, coming out completely against comics in the United States, saying comics were corrupting children, corrupting youth, they had a terrible influence and impact on them and this caused a major shift in american comics yep. congress came after comics full force
0: they did it was right in the middle of mccarthyism uh-huh. um, which a lot of writers not just comic writers but just a lot of writers in general found Absolutely. themselves uh subject to huac and found themselves blacklisted again uh, i believe the novel you're referring to is actually seduction of the innocent uh-huh. again the name of the uh, the psychologist. He wrote it, me. Escapes Me, and that's probably a good thing because he was a hack. Yes. Um, but, no, let's talk, talk about that for a split second because not only did this affect Jack's work, but it affected the comic book industry um, in ways that are still being felt. As well as led, led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority, which was publishers banding together <sighs> yep. to actually censor themselves before Congress got the chance to rip them to shreds. It yes, because they knew if
1: they didn't take action, they, anything that was going to be put forward by Congress was going to be so strict that it was just going to shackle all creativity they had.
0: Exactly. And so the, the Comics Code Authority is established, and again, there's a new level of censorship and changes in comics. And at this time, actually before Jack really started creating things like modern superhero comics that we all know and love, he and his partner Joe Simon, who again created Captain America, mm-hmm. created a, a, a genre of comics that has lasted to this day, uh, and was kind of left alone by the, um, the Congressional Hearings, which was the genre of romance, romance comics.
1: Absolutely. You would not expect it.
0: No, you wouldn't expect it. And those comics became quite popular. They garnered an entirely different audience for comics. Mm-hmm. And that's a genre that exists still to this day.
1: Yes. And he, he really went through and was like, okay, I've done superheroes my whole life and I, I love doing superheroes, but what other stories can I tell? Uh, and they really just worked it out and established themselves a new little niche yeah. uh but right around that time after so joe went around uh, jack <laughs> jack went around to start out several little comic uh companies and worked with these little studios uh archie studios uh, among them trying to get things off the, the the floor again getting the comic industry back to where it used to be in the heyday and during this period he met up with uh stan lee at timely comics and they founded uh marvel studios i believe it was uh, atlas editor. at
0: that time wasn't no, it was atlas
1: yeah. yeah uh and stan was a, an editor and he worked with stan to create some of our most well-known beloved characters today but it, it was a, a hard time and they had just come up with fantastic four and while they were writing fantastic four and putting the first issues out of fantastic four they were getting through the procedures to close up the studio. They were moving chairs out, getting ready to put things up for auction, and boom, Fantastic Four hit, and it hit hard. It was a huge success for them, and that success allowed them to catapult and just, just like, Hail Mary, like, whatever ideas we have, we're gonna try them. And boom, we have Hulk. Boom, they have Thor. Boom, they have X-Men. And it, 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 they just kept going, and it just spread out, and they were using... And then they were all of a sudden writing all these huge, huge characters and establishing universes that we know and love today all at one time. It was like the greatest creative font of creative energies that we've ever seen.
0: Oh, absolutely. And what's cool here is you're, you're naming all these great Marvel characters. There's, n- there's several hidden links between Marvel and DC through this time, and mm-hmm. a lot of it comes back to Jack Kirby. Because prior to the creation of the Marvel Comics group out of the remains of Atlas Comics in the early 60s, Jack did a lot of freelance work in the late 40s and early to mid-50s with Adventure Comics, which was uh, owned by Charleston, which was a smaller publisher that would later become part of DC Comics. And when doing those things, he actually helped revitalize several characters that had gone by the wayside. He helped reinvent uh, the Blue Beetle. Mm -hmm. which is, again, a character who is now a legacy character in the DC universe and has been featured in several massive events. Yes. Uh, He created the Manhunter character, who's a character that actually, not Martian Manhunter, but Manhunter is an entirely different character. Yes. uh, Who actually just showed back up in the Green Arrow books of Rebirth. Oh, really? And, speaking of Green Arrow, helped to actually redesign and recreate green arrow and turn him into the character that we know now because in the late 40s early 50s green arrow was very much a batman knockoff he had mm-hmm. a arrow signal and an arrow car and an arrow cave and was not it was bad it was really bad um so thanks to jack kirby we actually got a revitalized recreated green arrow
1: he should have called it the
0: quiver it actually is called the quiver nowadays i know
1: yeah Harley quinn mm-hmm. love it yeah
0: um, so again, going into the '60s, you have the creation of the Fantastic Four, the original Marvel comics, and that was actually an answer to DC's Justice League of America mm-hmm. at the time.
1: I mean, it was the beginning of him setting up his moniker as the Cosmic King, like Jack Kirby did Cosmic. Like no, he brought a whole new layer to comics. Like now, we still have to this day. We have like, oh, we have supernatural and meta and science. But we have the cosmic, and it's it's grown both universes of DC and Marvel. And that was all
0: him. Exactly. In fact, there was a precursor to Fantastic Four that's just shown up again in the DC books. There was a little more of an edit uh, of an editorial restriction there, mm-hmm. so we didn't get to go quite as cosmic as he wanted. But the Challengers of the Unknown. Yes they were very much a preliminary Fantastic Four. You've got four astronauts that go off and really just explore the mm-hmm. bounds of space. And it was an incredible tale. Again, it didn't get much traction because there was a lot of restraint on what he could do. But a lot of the, the creative freedom and the brilliance of Jack Kirby came from that, the doors are closing, let's get one last shot out, Fantastic mm-hmm. Four. And Hail Mary. right after that, it's... It it became the heyday of his creative legacy. He created hundreds of characters in Marvel. Uh, Pretty much anybody you can think of, Jack Kirby created. It was literally go big or go home, and Jack Kirby went huge. He did. He went huge. In fact, not only did he help create so many characters, but he actually helped define the style for so many artists to come. Yes. In the early days of Marvel, when he was their art director, he would actually create breakouts for their books so that all the Marvel books had the same style. You uh, mentioned earlier the the way that Jack actually broke the lines of a panel yep. and drew action across pages. Uh, how would you describe that he drew that?
1: Um, the way I like to say it is that this this culminates Jack Kirby for me is that Jack Kirby drew action, not violence. Like the 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 way there's no other way to describe it. It's he it wasn't violence. It, it, it was he lifted characters off the page he showed motion and an action like never before there is a uh, an issue of captain america where all along the outside is just captain america scene by scene going through an action uh routine or role and it, the the motion is so fluid and it just it flows and nobody ever done anything like that before. And it changed the face of comics.
0: Yeah, it really did. And it's like I said, he created so much. He worked behind the scenes on a lot of books. He was actually the original scheduled line artist for uh, Spider-Man mm-hmm. before Stan Lee opted to go with Steve Ditko. But it I mean, so if that had been the case, if he had been on that, he would have created with the exception of Doctor Strange. Pretty much every major Marvel character out there. So that's that's really an, an amazing legacy in and of itself. So that's the the early to mid '60s. What happened after that, Mike? What after the uh, after we create the Fantastic Four, where do we go?
1: So in 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 1970s, uh, he really felt, and it, it this was a, a precursor to a lot of things that happened in the the industry uh, that we'll get a little bit more into. Uh, but he really felt that he wasn't being fairly compensated for his work and. His his partner and friend Stan Lee had been promoted to an executive editor, and he was still just drawing, and he wasn't he wasn't he didn't think he had enough fair compensation. He wanted things like more investment and more ownership of his work. Things that we've seen today has changed the face of the industry, uh, and Marvel just really wasn't willing to to give him that. So he left and he went to DC, and he wasn't that. Uh, happy at DC. They treated him moderately better than Marvel did, so he liked that impact, but he missed the old people he worked with. Um, And this was personified in that he just wanted to work by himself and go into his creative corner. So he went out to the West Coast, which was unheard of at that time. They had... No, I, all, of them, all of the comic studios were in the East Coast. The Marvel headquarters, DC headquarters was in the East Coast. They were actually
0: right across the street from yeah. one another. That's why they refer to each other as their cross-street now. And, and for a while, they're cross-town rivals. Mm-hmm. One was in downtown, one was in uptown. But you're right. No, they were all stationed East Coast. And Boom. Jack at least had the clout to be able to move out to the West Coast and go solo.
1: And, yeah. No one, no, no, nobody else could have done that. But he had so much pull in the industry uh, not necessarily pull because he wasn't getting what he wanted, but the respect, and they let him have his studio on the the West Coast, and he took two guys uh, uh, from Marvel with him. Uh, I can't remember their names, but uh, I was watching some interviews with them, and they were basically like, "Yeah, we we really weren't doing much. We we're just not much assisting. We were doing. We were just there to be like give him some company and be like." Yeah, yeah, Jack that he showed something like, "Yeah, that looks good. That's a, a good job." A, he just needed he just needed some friends to be with.
0: Well, it's funny that you mention uh, the relationships with Marvel because in that time, uh, a lot of creators were under what was called work for hire contracts. Yes. So, basically no creative credit went mm-hmm. to artists of any kind. And that's not, not just Jack, but all the, the legendary artists, um, Steve Ditko mm-hmm. again just just recently got a creator credit for spider-man mm-hmm. so there's a, a long-standing history of creator conflicts when it comes between writers and artists especially when they work so closely together to create a character
1: yes and it's, it's really interesting the dichotomy of artists and a writer through the decades like we we have the artists being much more powerful in the beginning and then in the early late 80s early 90s we have the rise of the artists where it. The our authors were getting no credit, and it was all about stylization and the art. And people were reading runs just for to see their artists on that run, uh, and then back now to a renaissance where it's balanced back out, and people have like like we've talked about before how you used to go to cons and the artist line would be like out the door, and the the authors would be like nobody there to get their autographs, mm-hmm. and now it's back to a reverse of that. So it ebbs and flows. But, yeah, it was it was worse back then because they had no credit whatsoever. Not, not only credit, but they had no pool. Um, they had no investment. Uh, they were just being used, pretty much. Yeah.
0: So, it's the 70s, and Jack is currently working under DC. Mm-hmm. And this is where he creates a lot of my favorite characters that he's ever come up with. Yes. I love all of his Marvel creations, don't get me wrong. But the Fourth World Saga are some of the longest-lasting, most interesting characters in the history of DC. Mainstays in
1: the DC universe now.
0: He created Apocalypse and New Genesis, the New Gods, Darkseid, all of it. This is, again, where the challenges of the unknown start to show up again. But he created so many great characters. Everyone knows Darkseid as the penultimate Justice League villain. And he was a character created by Jack Kirby in the 70s that, at the time, was not very commercially successful. Nope.
1: Again, he was all about that
0: cosmic. Right? I I, I mentioned it earlier, Mr. Miracle, the new gods, everything with Orion and Big Barda and all those those amazing characters, the very cerebral, cosmic storytelling that he is so amazing at really flourished in the Fourth World Saga. And, again, kind of the same way that horrible movies get a cult following, Mm -hmm. the Fourth World Saga, not very commercially successful, but had so much fan support that these characters lived well beyond what anyone could expect of them. Darkseid, again, became the penultimate villain in the DC universe. It was
1: the so, original cult following.
0: It really but, was.
1: Yeah, they, they, they gave rise to that of nerds hanging on to something that they liked and telling people, no, this is good. I love this. We need more of this. I don't care if you don't like it. We love it.
0: We nerds show up in force, don't we?
1: We do. Yeah. We do.
0: So let's talk about the 80s here, and the late 70s, early 80s, and his eventual move back to Marvel. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: so he, he wasn't
1: happy at, at DC, and he had reached that point where he was asking them now, it's like, uh, hey, I want some more investment, some, some creative rights, uh, some, a sales percentage, uh, a lot of things now that are industry standards, and... They weren't giving it to him, and they weren't letting him have any wiggle room, and they really started to have creative restraints on him, and weren't letting him do what he wanted to do. Uh, so he was like, "You know what? I'm Stan's pretty high up the company now. I'm gonna
0: go back and work with him." And uh, which he, took a lot of a lot of hutzpah from him. Yeah. Uh, because at the time, Jack and Stan didn't have the best of relationships. His nope. his part from Marvel the first time was very very tense, and yes. it was actually. Uh, Stan himself, who publicly revealed that Jack was coming back to mm-hmm. to Marvel.
1: So yeah, it was a big consolidation. And and the man had hutzpah. Like <laughs> we talked about him going to war and everything. Like he was a short, spunky man, just full of so much life and vigor. And also he was very humble and and just was just the nicest, easygoing guy that most people had ever met. And that's how people usually talk to him or refer to him. It, He's a very short man. People will think when they meet him that he would be like this giant, towering figure. But he was a very short man. Uh, he's got the iconic cigar in his mouth that is usually depicted as, and yeah. So he went back to Marvel, and uh, they gave him a, a little bit more pay and a little bit more wiggle room and stuff. Uh, but it it just shows going into like uh, moving out of business and into the impact that he's had. He fought for creators' rights. His entire
0: career, he really did,
1: and he unfortunately passed away before his his legacy. He never got to benefit from his legacy, uh, but it's it it's come so far, and it's all thanks to Jack Kirby that all these artists and have created rights, we have things like Image now of creator owned artists. Oh, and that, like, we
0: are in a heyday of creator owned mm-hmm. comics right now. So many. Amazing writers and artists are actually leaving the big companies to focus on their creator-owned properties.
1: Jack would be so proud.
0: Uh, no, I, I totally agree. So much of what the comic book industry is as a whole is owed to Jack Kirby. In fact, the Eisner Awards that we've mentioned previously yes. in several of our episodes, Jack was one of the inaugural members of uh, uh, one of the inaugural recipients of that award when it was founded in 1987. Mm-hmm. So again, only a few short For good years. Reason. Oh, absolutely good reason. But only a few short years before his birth, before his death, pardon me, um, Mm -hmm. did he receive really recognition for all of his outstanding work. And that continues on today. Just recently at, what, D23, Mm -hmm. Disney's Entertainment Expo, where they gave Lifetime Achievement Awards to both him and Stan Lee. Lee. Um, Which also featured heavily a lot of uh, promotion and reference to the Fantastic (laughs) Fantastic Four.
1: Which, uh... Marvel and Disney aren't running any comics of right now, so it's a bit hypocritical and ironic. Uh, But, yeah, he was, throughout his lifetime, and like most artists are, he was very underappreciated. And even at that award ceremony, Stan Lee specifically made a point saying he was so touched and he was glad that they did the montage for Jack as well, seeing him get that acknowledgement and appreciation. uh, And he was really happy to see his friend honored like that because he knew he hadn't been in his life as well as he should be
0: there was a lot of tension in between jacket and stan the later years because of those business choices but one thing is is always true they they respected one another as Mm -hmm. creators yes so it's really good that he was touched and especially coming out of what's happened in stan's own life recently with the loss of Joni, his wife which is Mm -hmm. Kind of the main reason why we even have the Fantastic Four, because yes. both of them were getting ready to just walk away from the industry out of being frustrated, and it's because of that brilliant woman that we have the Fantastic Four in Marvel Comics as they exist today.
1: Yeah, it was it was really actually because Jack Kirby's son was there to accept the award, and he consoled because uh, it was literally a week after his uh, Stanley's wife had died, and he was there and he gave his condolences uh, to Stan. It was really uh, touching, and I mean. Jack Kirby was not all like he was he had a wife and four kids he was a, a family man just trying to work to put food on the table for his kids and it, it really showed in, in everything he was as down as earth the salt of the earth as you could be
0: he was a very very you said salt of the earth and that's mm. that's a perfect description of Jack Kirby he was a hard working man and a brilliant brilliant creator yes uh, and Unfortunately, in 1994, we lost yeah. a, a legend
1: and, the, and, the, and a bit a brilliant creator and a bit to his his detriment. Like, uh, it, but he fought for it. He knew what he was missing, and he fought for it in the business side. But he was never that business minded. Like his brother did, helped with a lot of the business work, and other partners did. He was he was the creator. Exactly, he was the spark of genius that that lit the fire. But he was never much of a, a business minded person. But he did have he did know he was not getting his fair compensation. He's like I'm creating these huge giant worlds and I'm not getting enough for it. And because he fought to get more because he had four kids and he's just trying to feed his family.
0: Exactly. It's a quite a legacy. And speaking of legacy, there are some really interesting in continuity, in comic book references to mm-hmm. Jack Kirby. In fact, um, he is, he's actually a comic book character himself. He's known as the one above, above all, all. Who's essentially... He's the god he's, of the Marvel He's Universe. the god of the Marvel Universe. Um, yep. In an issue of Fantastic Four in which Thing dies, and the Fantastic Four actually travel to the afterlife to reclaim him, mm-hmm. they walk into a room and there is Jack Kirby sitting behind his easel as the one above all. So it's a really touching sentiment that that yeah. Jack Kirby lives on in the comics, He's touched, as the fundamental artist that he always was. He's
1: touched so many uh, artists and creators throughout his lifetime. Like I remember my first uh, engagement with Jack Kirby of ever knowing that he existed was watching the the Ninja Turtles uh, original 1987 series, where he, there was an it was the year he passed. And there was an episode where Donny found a pen or a pencil with a, a magic stone eraser head on it that allowed him to anything he drew to come alive and it was this lost pencil of this magical creator uh kind of like the wood above all in their universe and they eventually ends up returning it to him and it's Jack Kirby and it it's in his studio uh, and it he uses the pencil and he's drawing some of his iconic comic characters. And it, the episode fades to black and it's in memoriam of Jack Kirby. And I remember being as a kid being like, who is Jack Kirby? This is so interesting. But he is the has had superior ultimate influence on so many artists through, throughout the generations. He was one of the few people who he just kept refreshing his style. Every single decade. He would refine his style, come out with something that looked completely new and and better than he had done the decade before. He just kept
0: pushing the boundaries. The only real thing that remained constant in his style were the eyes. Mm-hmm. He always felt very that the eyes so. were again the windows to the soul. Mm-hmm. And if you did, Jack Kirby's eyes and anything that he's ever drawn are very distinctive. You can pick out a Jack Kirby drawing specifically by looking at the eyes. And a lot of artists have begun to pay homage to great creators like mm-hmm. this. In fact, in one of the most amazing Fantastic Four runs ever by Jonathan Hickman, Dale Eaglesman is the, the artist in that run and specifically yes. draws Mr. Fantastic as an ode to Jack Kirby.
1: It's, it's beautiful. He
0: beautifully yes. recreates in a lot of panels, always with the family mm-hmm. in those panels, recreates Jack Kirby's Mr. Fantastic, and it's absolutely amazing. And so it's, it's, it's
1: so true to him, and Fantastic Four is just—that's why it's so great because it's about a family, and so much of Jack Kirby, and who he is and who he was created, has been about his family. He—he he was a very much a family man, very much a wonderful father to his children, his close ties, and he and going in showing he had the tact to write romance comics and read those stories and. And that's what it was. Fantastic Four was really just a cosmic romance that goes to its logical ends of them falling in love and having children. And where does that take you? And and he, he took us there.
0: Absolutely. So let's talk about his legacy, mm-hmm. how his works have inspired creators in the years since his passing. I mean, Mike, who do you think is the next Jack Kirby? Who do you think is that creator that is amazing when it comes to world building? I would have had so
1: many different answers to this if it wasn't for just uh, recently. Um, and it it's just so right up there aligned to Jack Kirby and to his his cosmic world building. And, and that is The Ultimates uh, and The Ultimates 2, which unfortunately just ended its, its run. But it is... Phenomenal, and Dan Brown personifies Jack Kirby's style of wild and cosmic and just beautiful action, and it looks like a painting. Just the way he does his cells, his cells are multicolored and very cosmic and far out there. And it, he loses a lot uh, of of brickage, reminiscent of Kirby's original style, and things like Galactus. As a matter of fact, they wanted the one of the Chief stars of this of the Ultimates is the Galactus. I mean, the setup for it is is awesome. Like you basically have an Avengers team that becomes the Ultimates, and Galactus gets reborn as the Lifebringer instead of the World Eater, and they become his heralds. And and it in this series they reorganize and reorder the entire uh, galactic. Cosmic hierarchy of of Marvel,
0: which was Jack's mainstay. He loved what the he cosmic did. scale. He, he really did.
1: Silver Surfer, Galactus, that's all Jack Kirby. Fantastic Four, it's all him. Like I said before, he added that new facet to comic book universes. He and really the did. Co- power cosmic, and I, I just really uh, Dan Brown really channels him of that that far out there. Like this is like nothing I've ever seen before, and the the colors specifically. Uh just like Kirby. Just so colorful. And that that's who I think is is leading uh, leading the charge on his legacy and really reflecting the spirit of Jack Kirby and cosmic and trying out new things in different ways.
0: It's really good that you said that because right after I asked it I I honestly blanked out. I can't think of anyone that is even comparable in scale mm-hmm. to to the the great king himself so mike what would you recommend to our listeners if they want to explore the great works of jack kirby oh wow
1: there, there's gosh I, I gotta say his his, his cosmic stuff uh I, that's where he does his best work his, his new gods in dc he, the eternals and, and marvel fantastic four uh just 100 percent his runs on fantastic four and x-men
0: Oh, absolutely! Especially those first uh, hundred issues that he wrote with, that he worked on Stan, with Stan. With Stan, on. yeah, yeah, because so many great things are created in that. I mean, from Awatu to Annihilus to Galactus himself and the Surfer, <laughs> so many, so many Fantastic Four staples occur because of Jack Kirby and, the and Stan Lee. Like
1: it just goes on and on that. So much. That's why he's our first world builder because the world building that he did in that and it he blurred the line between artist and author because he was an artist, but he was a creator. Exactly. Uh, he would come up with characters on his own, and Stan would put them in the storylines. Or Stan would come up with stories that had been done before, but it was Jack who interpreted those and brought those to the page in new and fresh, exciting ways through his artistry. Absolutely. So Jack- he very much was a creator
0: jack was a creator through and through he was a master class in storytelling both visually and through through writing he really helped shape an, an entire industry uh, for me in terms of recommendations I, again i'm going to recommend his fourth world saga uh, in, in dc everything with new genesis and apocalypse uh, all the new gods dark side all of it i would recommend the fourth world saga which you can actually get in trade it's combined as jack kirby's fourth world saga i would definitely recommend picking that up it is mind-bending and and cosmic in scale it is absolutely just a a great great book series iconic it really
1: is in one word it's iconic it's set in stone so much that has come after that just shows that he was right all along
0: yep he really is the the father of modern comics. And in fact, even in his earlier days as a creator, working with Joe Simon was compared quite a bit to Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, who created mm-hmm. Superman. And tying back to some of his later creations, or sorry, later creations that we mentioned earlier, you talked about the newsies and stuff. He created a lot of smaller things in DC, not just the revamping of Green Arrow and Blue Beetle and so on and so forth and the fourth world, but he also created uh, the newsboy Legion. Yes. And the boy (laughs) commandos, which were again, kind of fun tales. Mm -hmm. But the newsboy Legion went on to to be big players in the Superman comics. And he also launched another book that tied into the fourth world saga, which was Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen. Yep. So when you take Jimmy Olsen, a small character who's really just there to fill out the rest of the panel between Clark and Lois, and turn him into a supporting character in this cosmic level book, and all these weird zany things that are affecting this redheaded photographer—the the actual redheaded stepchild of comics—it's mm-hmm. just it's quintessential Jack Kirby. So I would also recommend that
1: he's his, his like we the really the culmination of all we talked about today is that his signature and fingerprints are all over and his influence of the worlds. That we know and love today and we read and we've read since childhood. And a lot of these couldn't have happened and would never have happened without Jack Kirby, which is is 100% why he's our first World Builder.
0: Absolutely. So this actually concludes our first episode in the World Builder series. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, tune in next week for another episode of the Hall of Justice comic cast.
1: All right. See you next
0: week.